come with me into the tormented, haunted, half-lit night of the insane. This is my work. Let me lead you into it. Let me take you into the mind of a woman who is mad. Hi, and welcome to Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, a good ghoul's guide to horror. I'm your polter guide, Kinsey. I'm your polter guide, Donna. I'm your polter guide, Adrian. Polter guide, Debbie was going to the cops to get some help but she's she's fine she'll be back it's fine it'll be fine we don't have to worry about the cops no (laughs) so this week (laughs) this week we are finishing up the fear street trilogy uh and fear street 1666 and so yeah we'll be in spoiler territory pretty quickly i can already tell And for those of you that don't know what this is about, our good, good buddies at IMDb want you to say that this is a reboot of The Witch with younger, more attractive cast. (laughs) Okay, wait, I'm going to throw down about about that blonde in The Witch. I was going to say she's gorgeous. Yeah, she (laughs) has to say she's beautiful. The, The cast at large. This is a young, beautiful cast. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll give that to you. This is the CW version, the CW <laughs> production of The Witch. All right. The CW production of The Witch. That's what it is. Yep. All right. Yep. I'll, 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 all right. I'll sign off on that one. <laughs> well, they're going to disagree with you, Donna, just so we're clear. And they're going to let you know that the origins of Sarah Fear's curse are finally revealed as history comes full circle on a night that changes the lives of shady siders forever. I just really want I just want to be that dramatic with forever. You need the Sandlot kid. I pretty much, forever. yeah. Forever. I, I got the glasses on today, so I'm basically channeling <laughs> squints. So it's it's fine. It's fine. All right. So let's let's go around. Did you like it? Did you not like it? Yeah. I really enjoyed this movie. I have enjoyed all of them. And yeah, it's so good. <laughs> Donna. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed it very much. I really enjoyed um, seeing um, all the actors that we had seen in the previous two seasons. I was so thrilled to see um, Simon. Ty- Simon. Yeah, my brain was trying to tell me Tyler, and I was like, I know it's not Tyler, <laughs> but um, yeah, I was thrilled to see Simon. Um, yeah, I I enjoyed it so much. The Quantum yeah. Leap casting was fun. Yeah. It was it was neat to see that. Yeah, I, I'm the same. I points I, points to Adrian. Points to Adrian for <laughs> quantum leap casting. Yeah, like uh, like both of you, I, I've I've enjoyed this this ride. I enjoyed the first two parts. I enjoyed this one. I thought it was a great little uh, great wrap up to everything going on. And yeah, I thought it was thought it was a lot of fun. And I can't wait to get more entries into Fear Street. To be very honest with y'all. Yeah, yeah, I am down for it. All right, so let's uh, let's uh, get into it because uh, it. I do like that it jumps into 1666, and we do see you know people we've seen in the other two movies, sometimes briefly, sometimes a little bit more. But I like I like that. Can I go straight into a spoiler and say something I really appreciated about this film? Yes, I we've already given the spoiler warning. So the one thing that kind of 
gave me pause on the previous two was the just acceptance of the fact that this evil, scary witch had laid this curse on the town. And I'm like, I'm enjoying this show, but man, you know, the witch trials, witch hysteria was a way of just keeping women down. And so I wasn't thrilled with the curse from the witch. And so the fact that we learned pretty quick that the witch was not the problem was uh, something I appreciated very much. Yeah, that was a, speaking of the witch trials, and yeah, we're jumping around. That scene, as it was going on, it made me so angry. Like, I just, I felt myself just getting angrier and angrier. And I know, like you said, that was normal. That was a thing that they did, but oh man, it... It, it pissed me off. And I, and I, and I love films that can kind of give me that reaction because I'm not expecting, you know, it's like that type of reaction and man, who, as it kept going, was like, Oh, fuck you. Like it was like, everyone was talking. It's like, fuck you, fuck you. And fuck you. And fuck you in particular. Yes. So yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up, Donna. Cause yeah, that was a, that was a good scene and it, it made me very angry. So. That was that was the one thing that I kind—I don't even want to say didn't like. That was the one thing I kind of side-eyed, and it was nice to see that re- resolved. Well, it's a trope, you know, the the curse laid by a witch. The same way that like ancient Indian burial ground is a trope. Um, it's one that you know was was made when people cared less. I don't know if cared less is the word, but when there was just not as as much awareness of being sensitive. See, I like awareness because I because I think there are some people that weren't trying to be dicks about it. I like I think awareness. And I think that's why we're seeing the shift because they're because people are like, oh, that's kind of a dick thing to say. So how about we not? Yeah, because I'm pretty sure that in the original Fear Street books, it was Sarah Fear. Like she was she was she was the bad guy. (laughs) Like she did it. Um, I don't remember that for sure. So like, please don't crucify me on Twitter. If I'm wrong, uh, you can you can tell me nicely if I'm wrong. Um, but in, you know, recently we've like everybody's definitely not everybody, but a lot of people are definitely making more of an effort to not f- blindly follow the tropes and to really think about them and why they might exist. And I feel like this movie did a really good job of that by um, by giving Sarah a reason to have done it. And then also just showing the way that the mob mentality takes took over in situations like that. Yeah, I, I, I agree with everything that you said. I think it was handled brilliantly. And yeah, and I that's one thing that I always love about horror in general. Like with things start changing and awareness, they are the first ones to basically put a light on it. And, you know, like, you know, you guys know that social commentary horror is my bag, so I, I'm I'm here for it, and I like that when it when it's done. Same. Somebody asked me why I liked horror at one point, and one of the ans- one of the things I told them was that I love that horror is so often made for outsiders. Like it's not always a great depiction, but you know, you saw LGBT people in horror movies more frequently than you saw them anywhere else. Same thing um, with- for for a long time same with like people of color um and and i think a lot of this is often because um these are movies made with not much budget (laughs) you know (laughs) some of these movies are just made by people 
who have a thing that they want to do and they're just, you know, using their friends or using people who will work cheap. But it means that you end up with a lot more outsiders and outsider characters in these movies. And like I said, it's not always done well. It is, in fact, often done terribly, but it still happens a lot more often, I think. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would think so. Just I mean, I think a lot of it is money. You know, there may be some there sometimes, yes, there is an effort, like a a thought about effort. Other times it's like, I got five bucks. You want lunch one day to be in my film? (laughs) You know? Yeah. When when I was making the zombie movie with with my friends, we like nobody had any money. It was all just like we're doing this with whoever we can get to do it. And as more people wanted to do it, the production got bigger, you know, but like it was all 100% volunteer. Nobody got paid. (laughs) And so, you know, like we had, we had some scenes filmed at a concert and it was just a band that we met that was like, yeah, we'd love to do this, this, this concert scene for you. Like it was, it was literally just whoever would do it. Yeah. So, um, that was another thing I really loved is, you know, the, the bury your gaze trope. I really, really love that at the end of this film, the gay couple gets to be happy. I like that very much. Well, part of the, like, like one half of the gay couples, because Sarah and Hannah Defo did not get a happy ending. No, that's true. But in the, in the framework of the original story, the, the 1994 story, which frames yeah. the whole rest of it. Dina and Sarah. Yes. Wait. Dina and Sarah. No. Samantha. 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 Because there was a whole Sam thing at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, so that we could be surprised. Um, yeah. They got to have a happy ending. And I really. Well, and I think it was also. I think it was interesting. Speaking of that trope. We literally see that happening at the end of the 1666 part (laughs) like Uh it's like they're literally doing that okay like all right and i want to mention that um adrian's referring to the casting as the quantum leap casting actually helped me (laughs) so much because one thing that did bother me was the weird mechanic where they would show actual seraphir occasionally and then we would have Dina the rest of the time and then actually Sarah Fear. Um, but yeah, putting it in reference to Quantum Leap, I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I get it. Sure. I, I wonder about, I wonder about a couple of things on this. Like, I wonder, when do you decide to do casting like that? Like, what what is the push for that? Is it just because you know that we want to see these, these actors again? Because also, I was really excited to see Simon and... Um, Tommy? What? Kate? Kate. I was I was trying to finish your sentence for you. That's very rude of me and I apologize. No, I think it's funny that you went for Tommy, the guy with the messy bloody hair before Kate. <laughs> I mean <laughs> I, that I, tracks. I, I, I do know you. <laughs> it's true. Um, I was trying to think of I think Kate, she was the bitchy one, right? Yeah. I love her. I was trying to think of her, but like she reminded me like visually a lot of the um romantic in love girl from Anna and the apocalypse yeah I can see that yeah and so like while I was trying to fetch her name my brain kept trying to give me Anna and the apocalypse stuff um but so I I wonder like how does that casting come about like what's the decision being made there and um what is it like to play Sarah Fear and not be in the movie yep yeah I I really enjoyed seeing 
Tommy again. I wish she hadn't been crazy again. Um, I am really disappointed in myself at how long it took me to figure out what had happened to the pastor. I, I didn't get that the pastor was the first serial killer until actually until after the scene in the church. And then I was like, oh, oh, the curse got him. But uh, yeah, I think I'd gone into it assuming that he was going to be like um, patient zero. Like he's not, he wouldn't have been a victim of the curse that he was going to be like part of the things that made the curse. Yeah. See, that was me that I went in that way that it was the curse was his fault, not Mm -hmm. the first victim slash killer. Like I didn't, and I should have been prepared because of 78, but seeing all the kids dead, I was still shocked. I was like, Oh shit. They killed the kids. But it's like, I just want, I've, 78 they have no qualms on killing kids but i it was seen people that people that we had seen you know like max i think that was the difference was you know max was the youngest one in 78 or the youngest looking one and she certainly got attacked and we are talking about ziggy right yeah ziggy yeah Yeah, sorry (laughs) max Max from stranger things yeah just wanted to make sure and, and we saw her death, but she didn't die. This movie, it, we didn't, like, she was the only younger one whose, like, dead body we saw. But this one showed us kids younger than her mm-hmm. dead. Yeah. So this one, this one upped the stakes a little bit, I think. For sure. For sure. Did anyone else, when uh, the pastor said uh, he could see now, get Event Horizon vibes from that speech? Mm-hmm. I didn't at the time, but as soon as you've said that, yeah. <laughs> I was like, damn it. <laughs> damn it, Kenzie. Damn it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, I, I actually thought the, the priest, the pastor, pastor, I thought he was going to be the, um, you know, the one hanging Sarah. So I was really surprised that we lost him so early. Yeah, same. So, and I also really loved the reveal that she didn't um, cut off her own hand. That basically the entire story against her is fabricated entirely. Yeah, this is a really great example of history as written by the winners. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, the history sure does make it sound like Sarah Fears is, is, is the problem. And that's because Sarah Fear lost. Um, yeah, that's what I kept thinking through the whole movie was just how much this is this is that. (laughs) Yep. Um, so the thing that was going on is, um, the good would name a name and then that person would become the new serial killer and they would just go kill random people, not random people, uh, but I'll go ahead. I'm sorry. They would kill shady siders. Okay. Random shady siders. Um, the the only time a sunny veiler got killed was when he was literally standing directly between the the killer and the quarry. So the good would name somebody. He would go become a serial killer. And then if somebody saw the witch, then all the killers would turn and focus on that person because that person could end the curse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got it? Yeah. Yep. Okay. I understand now. So. As, as is usually true when it's a good movie, we don't have a lot to say. We really don't. So um, 
I will let you step into your medical corner, though, Donna. For oh, good. Okay. Uh, for Doctor Donna's medical corner. So, with the loss of the hand, she would have died probably sooner because of the blood loss before. Because it's like she lost her hand, and it seems like there was just a bit before she was hanged. And I, I just I have questions regarding that. I, I have some answers because because here's the thing: it was not a clean just whacking the hand is off. Okay. So there was, there was a cut that did some pretty significant damage. So that would have been a clean cut, but then the rest of it was a rip and a tear. And what that means is that gave those blood vessels a chance to constrict. Um, So, and also she, she wrapped it pretty quick. It it didn't look anything like a tourniquet, uh, but she did at least wrap it. So there was at least a, nod to hey we got to stop this bleeding um so yeah if you can stop the bleeding you're not going to bleed out um but the fact that it was that it was ripped off as opposed to a clean cut helped and the fact that she got it um wrapped pretty quick lets me go all right i'll give you that now that's horrifying i didn't know that that having my hand ripped off would be better than having my hand cut off but thank you for that knowledge now well your hand could be replaced easier if it was cut off. In 1666? So, no, not in 1666. In 1666, you're, you're screwed. But today, today, if you've got the choice, get that nice clean cut. What if I'm in the forest running or in a cave system running from a guy? Um, it would probably, because if, well, it all depends on whether or not you've got time to pick up the dismembered hand. If you've got time to pick it up, then you want the clean cut. If you don't have time to pick it up, ragging. All right. <laughs> tips out there for all the listeners who find themselves stuck in a horror movie yeah um one thing i don't think she would have been able to do would be to use it to crawl in any way now it's possible adrenaline can do some pretty funky stuff to our body um but she was you know reaching out with the one hand and then reaching out with the stump and crawling i do not think she would have been able to use that hand in any capacity at all that's So I have a I have a question about the quantum leap casting. Okay. Do we think that those were all of their descendants? Like, is Dina actually Sarah Fear's descendant? Is Thomas Mad Tom's descendant? Well, Sarah never had a chance to have kids. Well, no, but but her father her father sadly is the only living member of her family left. If he remarried and had more kids then she could be descended from Sarah Fear's father. But do we we think anyone in, I was going to say, do we think anyone in Shadyside is going to touch that family line with anything? (laughs) 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 I'm just saying, due to mom is, is is her father doomed to be alone for the rest of his life? Yes. Um, I mean, I guess it actually depends on how much property he had. It's true. I mean, he I, he he did have it look like a nice hog. So yeah, and yeah, it's a really big hog. And also, um, I I mean, I could be wrong, but I was pretty into the witch trials for a while when I was younger, and it seems like maybe the girls were pretty villainized as being temp- temptresses, while the men kind of got off a little bit scot free because they were probably enchanted. Yeah, they yeah yeah because you know men absolutely cannot help. Them. Well, they see a bare shoulder, you know. And and what are you supposed to do? Yeah, I mean, no, no one could blame you for that. Yeah, I mean, obviously you had to be enchanted because you know. <laughs> yeah, um, a good God fearing man would never, never 
do that unless enchanted. And the thing I would really like to question about the witch trials is it's pretty accepted we're off topic here, but whatever. It's pretty accepted that the whole thing was started by two teenage girls, two, one, one teenage girl who just was bent on vengeance. And I just really wonder, you know, history is written by the winners. Was it really a teenage girl's fault? Uh, well, I, I think you've said the answer there is that it being a teenage girl, and I don't think so. I, I'm, I'm going to go into about consent and all of that. <laughs> the thing that I think about a lot lately. Not a lot lately. Well, I don't know. Probably, I, I was going to say probably more than I should, but maybe it's not more than I should. The thing that I get hung up on a lot, especially whenever I think about things like the witch trials, is that trial, and I, I, I can't remember the names here, but where the 14-year-old girl was raped by her teacher and mm. the judge called her a temptress mm-hmm. and, uh, and just really put the blame on her and how fucking horrifying that was. And, you know, in 1666, granted, I don't live there. I don't actually know what they thought or felt. And I don't think that people in the past were necessarily dumber. I just think they had lacked the same information that we have. But, you know, you give a righteous man enough power to be narcissistic that he doesn't even need to question whether or not he's right. Yep. Um, right at the very end. One of my very favorite moments was right after uh, Dina and Sam emerged from Sheriff Good's house um, and the rich couple across the street got slammed into by a garbage truck. Mm-hmm. That was like, oh, the curse really is over because look, Sunnyvale isn't blessed anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. Though from a legal point of view, those two are probably going to prison forever. Um, I mean, I doubt it because they... Well, this is this gets into the how do you how do you handle legal stuff in a in a world with supernatural? Yeah, because the show did show us that Good was being blamed. That Sheriff Good was being blamed for the murders. You're you're right. They called him the yeah. the, the, the they called him a serial killer. So yeah, yeah, and that okay. and so then you assume that he was caught because of Sam and Dina. So probably. Anything they did is going to be called self-defense. Okay, fair. That's with, fair. Yeah, and with the curse lifted, you know, it's not... Yeah, because what were they calling him? The Shady Side serial killer? Was that what it was? Or Sunnyside? Uh, Sunnyvale? I don't remember. I thought they yeah. were calling him something like serial killing sheriff or something. They, something like that, yeah. yeah. I did think it was funny and cheesy with the whole good is evil <laughs> being spray-painted everywhere. <laughs> Okay, so we it, we need it, to talk about that. That's the the ending. We do um, the the 1994 ending because oh my god, that was like like I was getting big Frog Brothers vibes. Uh, the whole ending was very very much like if the Lost Boys could have gone bigger. Last night I sent a message to our Discord saying something about how I was just smiling because I had just figured out how it was going to end. Now it turns out I was not completely correct but at the point dina put her blood in the bucket and i remembered them saying we're going to carry him i was like oh my god they're going to dump dina's blood on him and then all the killers are going to come for him which is what happened but it's not it didn't work um but i was so happy i was so happy when i realized what they were planning it's so good like i I, there's always this problem when you take horror 
too far like when it, when horror goes on too long that it becomes adventure instead of horror and so i think that this movie got a really good balance between the two because it was still scary like you still had the 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 tenseness of the horror and the gory violent death of horror um but it was it also got a lot more fun and video gamey at the mm-hmm. end there yeah i mean yeah Josh had it figured out. Yeah, I do. I do. I'm like you. I like. I did get the Frog Brothers vibe, and it was a lot of fun. Um, and it also, and I know we've mentioned this before, but I wanted to see. I wanted the 13 Ghost origin story of the of these killers that we hadn't seen yet. Like, I was like, I need to know all about them. I know we got it very briefly, but I need more. I love like all the killers are so interesting. They're I love them. Um, I want to know more about the strategy that this evil entity has, because there clearly is a strategy. It's even sort of called out whenever they point out that they don't have all of them there, that Ruby and um, I forget all the other ones, but there were several killers that didn't show up immediately. And so, like, obviously, it's not good for them to just mindlessly show up all at once because then they can be taken out. So there's some sort of like planning on the part of the being. So I, my brain explained it as like a video game. Like, you know, you have like, okay, you can use this character for so many, you know, for 30 minutes and then they've got to rest for three hours before you can use them again. That's how I. (laughs) What fucking games are you playing? I'm playing fucking Bubble Witch. Okay. And there's one special kitty that I like to use called Puck that does bombs and you can only use him for 30 minutes. And then he has to rest for three hours before you can use him again on my little Bubble Witch game. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. (laughs) So that's, that's how my brain took these, these serial killers. Okay. All right. So did anyone else notice with these three films that. And we've talked about the first two, but they've all done homages to different horrors. Like we know with, you know, of course, 94, the 90s, 78 was slasher. But when we were in the 1666, not when we went back to 94, it had a very elevated horror feel. You know, we had mentioned The Witch as well as just other, you know, right now what we're in that that genre. The great of, cinema of the of the uh, 17th century. Yeah, yeah of course. you know that we're in that that we were in that elevated horror feel because that's the big buzz term right now it's like oh it's elevated horror like did any of y'all feel like notice that or oh for sure yeah um i don't i don't really like well i hate the term this before i don't like the term elevated horror Mm -hmm. and i also think that i don't always love elevated horror movies Mm -hmm. because what they they feel slow Mm -hmm. to me like whenever I get hit by a jump scare in an elevated horror movie, it's not because I actually got hit by the jump scare. It's because I've stopped paying attention to the movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, don't get me wrong. I'm with you. I hate the term elevated horror because it's like, no, it's horror. Just call it horror and mm-hmm. and don't dress it up. Don't dress a drama up as a horror just to get asses in the seat because, you know, horror films make money. Like that's my whole mm-hmm. y'all. Y'all have heard that multiple times. But in this context, I feel like they were doing a nod to that with the 1666 section. I, I agree with you. I think you're right. Or uh, it, even if it's, I mean, I feel like some of the nods they're doing go further back than like the term elevated horror. 
Um, because Elevated Horror seems really only to have like come up with like the A24 films and stuff, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's where I always hear it is with those films. That's why A24 and I have beef, but that's a whole other tangent. <laughs> um, you know, it sort of kills me because there's so many things that I like in a lot of those movies that I'm, I'm just like, I wish that you were just better move. I mean, not better because obviously a lot of people like them. I don't, but that doesn't mean they're bad. I just mm-hmm. wish that they moved a little bit faster or something. Like there's just something in the way that they're filmed mm-hmm. that just makes me like leave my body. Yeah. No, I agree. And- yeah. Now heredit as a for instance, hereditary did manage to make me tense through the whole thing. The witch on my first watch, I was basically bored through most of the witch. On my second watch, having a little more understanding what was going on, I got that tension a little better but yeah the the uh, the quote massive air quotes elevated horror that i've seen um it's way too slow paced for me i i don't need literary horror there is not a need in the world for literary horror thank you that that's exactly how i feel about it it does feel like literary horror where it's just or like what kinsey said um putting horror elements in a drama like there's the reason that I don't watch drama is because I can't pay attention to it. Like I've just, I'm just gone. I'm off. I'm thinking about like, I'm making up new characters, like D and D characters in my brain. I'm like thinking about the last session or what I'm going to do in final fantasy. Like I'm in a totally different imaginary world than the one I'm supposed to be in. Um, the moment that I like lose attention. And so that's what I feel a lot with literary horrors. It just, it feels like a drama with horror elements and the horror elements keep my attention a little bit, but then it just becomes like, Oh, Hey, now we're in a horror scene and I can look at this again, but I've missed critical story elements. So I don't actually know what's going on. I um, change of topic. I was distracted by the red moss in the first movie. It, it distracted me because I was like, what the hell even is that? And then for the second movie, you know, it was there, but, you know, I, I wasn't surprised that it was there. I really loved them explaining what it was, mm-hmm. but they had managed to find such a unique, interesting color that as soon as Hannah put that piece in uh, Sarah's hair, I was like, oh, that's the moss. That's, that's the moss. So I knew, I knew it was coming from somewhere. Um, so I was really pleased about that little bit. I like with the mo- with with that scene that you're talking about. It threw me off because I was expecting that was what was going to damn them, so to speak. And the eyes was like, "Oh, she's got this in her hair. They're gonna find it. This is what's what it's going to be." And so the fact that it wasn't that, I liked that. I was like, "Oh, okay, good job, movie." Yeah. Okay. Um, I think I'm out of stuff to talk about. I think I am too. It's really good. Y'all should watch it. Yeah. I, I, I just want to just shout out to the mall scene, like Home Alone meets um, Dawn of the Dead. Mm-hmm. But done by the Frog Brothers. But done by the Frog <laughs> Brothers. And it was just, I loved it. I loved it so much. I loved it when they came up with the idea to spray the monsters with the blood and and Sheriff Good. Like, it was just man simon would have loved that plan simon would have been on board with that plan i actually did have something else to say i love that they brought that custodian back 
I loved yeah. that he was there. I felt like, now correct me if I'm wrong, I felt like he really teetered on the edge of being a stereotype, but he managed to stay just on the okay side of it. It's my feel. Please tell me if I'm wrong. I don't know that any of us can answer that. Yeah. But I, I think one of my favorite moments was when he and was it Ziggy were being confronted by the cops and he was there going, nope. I think that a lot of times characters like him in movies are made cowardly or made to be cowardly. Um, please. Uh, okay. I'm about to say a whole lot of stuff and I don't know if any of it is good. So like, sorry. Um, it feels to me a lot like a lot of black male characters put in the role that he was put in are the ones who are like, nope, fuck that. And they turn around and they run and then they die for whatever reason. Or you find them at the end of the movie having run from everything, like just alone and being like, guys, guys, anybody there? Um, and this guy didn't run. Like this guy was a reasonable fucking amount of like, are you sure about this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but he never ran. Like he he stayed with them through the whole plan. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that that differentiates him from other like probably bad stereotypes. Um yeah. I don't know. He didn't he felt like he had more like depth than other characters, but I don't I guess we don't ever actually see any of that. Yeah, we never got a real chance to get to know him, which is which is too bad because there were a lot of characters in these movies though. <laughs> yeah. I also speaking of the mall scene, I liked with uh, when good does have Ziggy after they carry him in a lot of horror films, it, they would have sacrificed Ziggy. You know what I mean? Like they would have. And the fact that they were like, no, we're all, we're all in this together. We're, we're all surviving. Like I, I really, it, it made Ziggy's story even more profound. Like that it's like, no, we see we are not, giving up on you like we're not losing you and I like that like that she wasn't disposable well and it also like having killed off Kate and Simon really makes that mall scene a lot more tense mm -hmm. because like we've seen that you can do everything right right and like and and still die to these things and so to watch and like with Kate and Simon their plan wasn't going bad really like everything was going pretty much as well as it could have. Honestly, drowning was faster. So they should have started with that. But um, in this one, the plan is just like spiraling out. And so it felt felt very much like anybody could go at any second. I think that this movie does a really, or like I think the third one does a really fantastic job of like building on the fears and um, rules that they've set in place in the first two. I agree. All right. Do we have anything else before we jump into rule, poll, and quote? No. All right. Donna has our hat trick, just so I want to state that before we begin. So, Donna, what is our quote? Our quote is up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B, A, start. <laughs> it gets you extra lives. It does. That was when I was, when I was watching it with my partner. Um, uh, he was he was uh, Christian's favorite character. And every time he was in any peril, Christian was like, no, 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 he lives. Um, and so when we got to that part, he was like, oh, that's the code for extra lives. He's going to be OK. <laughs> yep. And as um, 
grounding exercises go, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's up, pretty up, fucking down, nerdy. People down, are going to know right, left, right, all about B, you. A, start. Yeah, you, you are telling people something about yourself <laughs> when you say that. It's true. All right. Well, now we finally get to give our rules since we are done with the Fair Street trilogy. So, Donna, what is our rule? It took us three movies to get to our rule, and our rule was actually stated by one of the characters, and it is, try not to die. (laughs) Do we want to talk about why that's our rule? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, These movies are all about, um, like, the the class differences. You've got the goods who are literally in every way sacrificing the shady siders so that the so that Sunnyvale can have a better life. We see it in every every time that we see these two groups of people together. Um, even at the football game at the beginning, you see the Sunnyvalers and their football jerseys are nice and bright. They've got their numbers, they've got their names, they've got their school name put against the shady siders who have these dingy blue and I think they only have the numbers on them. Like they can't afford to put anything else on these jerseys. And, and so like, honestly, this movie is just a fucking crapshoot of where you were born. And if you were born a shady cider, then literally all you can do is try not to die. Mm-hmm. I do want to know what the timeline is. I'm sorry. This maybe should have gone earlier in the, in the <laughs> podcast, but is there like a time span needed? Like, does it have to be every 30 years or something? Because I wasn't able to quite figure out. They said generation. They did. My understanding is this, that prior to Nick Good, there was one, like his father would have done one. His grandfather would have done one. His great grandfather would have done one. His great, great grandfather would have done one. So on and so forth. However, I, they talk about Nick's father having died. I get the impression early. Mm. I also get the impression that that's probably weird for Sunny Valers. And so now I wonder, did Nick kill his father? Also, I believe that Tommy was the first one that Nick did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think he was the first one. And I think that Tommy was supposed to be done by his father. And then the second one that Nick did was Ryan Torres. He also did Sam. Um, well, he did after things kind of went weird. So he does Ryan and then Ryan kills his people. Oh, he didn't, he did Sam, but Sam wasn't activated by anybody. Sam and Dina, I think, I think what happened with that, like the reason that 1994 started, because 1994 is not about Ryan Torres, who is the serial killer, right? Mm -hmm. 1994 is about Sam and Dina. And the thing about them is nobody activated them. They were called by the witch because what you have is a very specific situation. You have Sunnyvalers and Shadysiders having a conflict as they're driving over her burial ground. So you don't think Nick Good activated Sam. You think the witch activated Sam. I I do because we didn't see like um, Tommy... The, the Nighthawk killer, Nightwing killer, camp, the camp murderer, he didn't get a bloody nose. Uh-huh. But and as far as we know, Ryan Torres didn't get a bloody nose either. We saw mm-hmm. him shift and there was no bloody nose. But what happened with Sam and Dina 
was that they were driving past, like, like close enough to the witch's grave that when the cars crashed, Sam was on top of it. And they were fighting each other. And Dina and Kate were about to throw this, not, they weren't going to throw the cooler. They, I think they were just going to throw whatever was in it. They were going right? to drop it. Yeah. But then Dina gets the bloody nose and it makes her drop the cooler. And then the car crashes and then Sam gets the bloody nose. So, okay, okay, here's my wild theory that might not actually work because there is no way for Hannah Fear to have had or for Sarah Fear to have had any heirs. But that is that Dina and, uh, yeah, that Dina and Sam are the descendants of that family line somehow. I can accept that. Yeah. And so them having this conflict so close to the grave is what woke the witch, made the witch activate them, essentially. Like, like she, the witch is actually doing the thing right now because she knows that they can, they can stop it. I like it. Yeah. And- I want to point out, though, that every time you say Sam and Dina, I have to skip my brain <laughs> past Supernatural. Like, um, no. I started having that issue this time as, as I was doing that explanation. Like, we are not talking about Supernatural. Move on. I wonder if that's an homage and on purpose. It feels like it must be, right? It, it could be. It very yeah. well could be. So. All right. And Donna, you have our poll. Okay. Who stole the book? I have a theory, which is that it was Mergood. That's a good theory. That is a good theory. I like that but theory. I was wrong about who was at the fortress at the end of time from Loki. So you should not necessarily trust my guess i thought it was a fantastic it i mean it tracks with the good family and them wanting to stay in power and i mean i'm not i don't hate it donna my thought was the queen of darkness the queen of air and darkness yes that was my thought possible that was my thought that's a good thought i like it just because of her knowledge and everything and we know he told her hey this was what happened to me and yeah I know in the first film, I was very suspicious of the Queen of Air and Darkness. So was I. I was a little bit, I, I wish we could have, I like that we saw who she was, but I would have liked her sooner, but that's okay. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. What about you, Adrian? I honestly have no idea who it could be. It feels like it could be anybody. So obviously it's a white person. We saw white hands. <laughs> okay. Fair. Um, um and I feel like if they're going to stay in the same theme of the movie, then it's got to be a Sunny Veiler, right? Um, because otherwise, they're going to have to grapple with like issues of vengeance and when it's okay. Yeah. And so I feel like having it be a Sunny Ve- or having it be a Shady Cider is not ideal. Now, having said that, I if I remember correctly, Kinsey, help me out here. Okay. People came back from the dead a lot in Fear Street books, right? I think so. I think like they we would. Yeah. I, like we would think somebody was dead and then they would show up again later. Yeah. And they would always have an explanation for like how they seemed to have been dead. So then I'm like, well, what if it's somebody that we saw that that died? With that idea, what if it was Sam's garbage boyfriend i'm using pete. Your quote. pete that's I, like pete was my first thought i also thought i would like having just said what i said about it needs to be a sunny veiler not a shady cider without dealing with the idea of vengeance 
I feel like I wouldn't be all that mad if it was like Simon or Kate. <laughs> you 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 would love you some dead Simon coming back, wouldn't you? Oh man, an undead Simon, my heart. <laughs> yeah, see at first and my thought was the nurse would it, it was her grabbing the book since she had the book in 1666. I thought of her was my first guess. Honestly, if it's going to be a, a shady cider, I think she's the best one for it because she's been like, she's been through a lot. Yeah. She's been through a lot. She's, she's studied it. She's shown that she's trying really like she, she went to go kill Tommy and was basically like, I'm sorry, I can't save you. So of all the shady ciders, I would be the most okay with her having it. Nurse Lane. Yeah. I don't think the book that Nurse Lane had in 1778 is the book. I think uh, that's her her notes. That's notes that she No, taken. she had the book because Sarah saw the spell with all the names, like what uh-huh. to say. Like when she was in there looking through stuff, she saw everything. Like uh-huh. this is a simple exchange, blah, blah, blah. She saw that. So then how was the book still lying in the basement after they had given the book to Nurse Lane? Well, no, there's two books. There's the actual spell book, the one we see grabbed. Mm -hmm. And then there's Nurse Lane's notes. This is what I'm saying. Yeah. The notes were, uh, Ziggy had the notes. Uh Uh-huh. So Ziggy gave, at the end, Ziggy gives Nurse Lane her notes back. Yeah. That's what I was saying. Okay. 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 So there's not a misunderstanding. Okay. All right. Do we have anything else? I don't think so. All right. I want more. Yeah. I yeah, like I really enjoyed this series immensely. It was like the movies were long, like really, really long. And I don't say that because I like, you know, they say that if you realize how long a movie is and it's too long, but like I didn't realize how long these movies were when I was watching them. I just knew yeah. that I was like, it's 11 o'clock. I have plenty of time for this. And then I would watch the movie and I'd be like, what the fuck? I have to leave. Um, so they were long but I'm not mad about it at all. Like it was enjoyable from start to finish. I didn't feel bored or like I needed something to happen or end during it. Um, They're just really, really fantastically put together movies. Yeah. I I enjoyed them. I had fun with them and they were, like you said, really well done. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. We do appreciate your support. Uh, and we are, you know, as always, want to thank our editor, Billy, for making us sound fantastic. Thank you, Billy. We are on social media. You can find us. We have a web page, beyondthecabinthewoods.com. Also, I have a Facebook page. We're on Instagram and Twitter at Beyond Cabin. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter under at Callista77. I'm on Instagram and Twitter as at Dragon Goblin. There's no I in Goblin. I'm on Twitter at uh, Junkyard Poet. Bye, everybody. And don't read the Latin. You know what horror is. Gumby Cat Productions. Podcasts from podcast people. Meow. Meow.